Hey, Arvid here. Today I'm talking to April and Alter, a YouTube expert who really knows what she's doing. The day after we had this chat, April posted a video to YouTube that at this point has gotten almost 100,000 views. I don't think I need to say more about her expertise, you'll see. But besides that, we talk about many issues that come up in the lives of digital creators. Balancing quality and quantity, all those mental health pressures we go through, and how to set up your home work environment for optimal productivity. This will be a masterclass in not just video. Big shout out to our sponsor, Acquire.com at this point. More about that later. And now here's April and Alter. Thanks for being on the show, April and you're in this unique position of being close enough to remember what it's like to be a YouTube beginner. And that's something that I consider myself to be still. Yet you're also experienced enough to teach beginners how to do it, which is really cool. You're just about to monetize a YouTube channel for the second time around. And what I wonder is, What's the most surprising thing that you've learned in this second round of getting to monetization? Yeah, that's a great question. The The most surprising thing to me so far, I think, was that um, I actually took back my editing, um, which is strange because I have been outsourcing my editing for a while. Um, I started outsourcing my editing for my old channel and I continue to do that into this new channel. But recently in the last like two months, I took my editing back towards myself. Um, and I never thought that that would be something that I would do for, for, for so long. I was in the camp of, yeah, as soon as you can afford it, out, outsource your editing because then like it frees up your time to do other things that you probably like more um, because I did not enjoy the editing process. But I realized that as soon as I started to edit myself again, I was able to level up my YouTube skills so much and just like became an overall be a better creator and my content became a lot higher quality. Not because I can edit better than my editor. Um, I am not a professional editor whatsoever. And it's like, it takes me so long to do, but it's because when I have like full ownership of the entire process again, I'm able to, I guess, like fully create the vision. And so the cool thing about having a new channel is that I get to experiment so much more with the different types of content and then the different styles of content and formats that I want to try out. And it's a lot easier, I think, for me to like iterate and pivot and try new things when I have ownership of the entire thing versus I'm trying to like communicate with an editor like, oh, hey, let's actually try this style. Let's actually try this thing or that or that thing. So yeah, that's, I, I think like I surprised myself in taking back my editing <laughs> and I was surprised by how well it went. Um, and now I probably won't outsource again for a long, long, long time. That's so interesting because I've been doing all my editing myself and I've always been thinking, when can I give it away? You know, <laughs> yeah, like when, exactly, because, yeah. because as, as enjoyable as it is to be able to experiment for, for myself, it just takes a lot of time, right? It's a lot of time. But then again, what I'm hearing is that time is well spent because it's time to, to allow you to experiment more and to do things. But I, I have two questions uh, as a follow up here. Like, obviously, um, spending time doing your own editing allows you to to be more creative but does it also help you just become better at talking to the camera do, do you see like is that is there a kind of self-reflection in there where you kind of train 
yourself to be better at presenting, to have more energy or to to convey things better? Is is that something you've been experiencing? Yeah, I get that question sometimes. Um, for me, no. <laughs> uh, because I guess like when I'm editing, I edit for so much more than just, I guess, like my talking head footage. Um, I think when I when I film, that's really when I try to focus on my like tonal inflections or making sure that I'm energetic enough or I'm saying the sentence in the right way. Um, when I edit, it's less so about that and more so about, okay, like how can I use what I have? Cause like my, my content isn't particularly like whoosh, like all of, you know, it's like, I, I'm not, I'm not giving away a castle. I'm not, you know, like doing all of this stuff, right? I'm, I'm teaching people about YouTube. This is not like groundbreaking, like super hyper emotional stuff. Um, but the, the cool thing about editing is that, I get to like just like take the base footage, which is me talking to the camera, hopefully with some degree of tonal inflections and other stuff like that, but mostly like augment that with visuals and B-roll and music and sound design um, and just like really take it from meh to something that I'm very proud of. Um, so I think like that's kind of the skill that I'm honing with the editing process. Interesting. Do, do you experiment a lot with tone between your videos? Because I've been noticing in your work that all of the videos you do are slightly different in style. You do a lot of experimentation right now, just, I, I guess, trying to figure out what works, which is awesome because that's such a indie hacker mix between an indie hacker and a creator just experimenting all the time. Is, is that, do you experiment a lot with that? Yeah. I mean, again, that's, that's, that's a cool part about having a new channel is that I can experiment. And so, yeah, with, with every new video, I think a lot about like, what do I want the final product to look like and to feel like? Um, and I've been experimenting a lot with like what that is, um, taking inspiration from some of my favorite creators and like, oh, like how can I take elements of that into my own content? Especially I think in a more saturated niche, like the YouTube tips niche, where there are a lot of people there you have to think about, okay, like what's going to set my content apart? And for a lot of people, it's like their own style and the format. And so I've been experimenting a lot. And like this new one that's, that's, that, that, that's coming out is actually different from what I've released so far. And I'm very excited for it. Um, and yeah, it's, it's also a degree of what do I enjoy creating, right? Because like that's like what you're really looking for is what works and what do you enjoy and that you can continue to do consistency while look consistently while loving the process and so that, that, that's what i'm doing that is awesome that must be fun youtube must be pretty present in your life right now right like, oh yeah <laughs> it's like the only thing that i i think about all day oh, and fun. night yeah, yeah, for sure. Right? You can't sleep. Got it. YouTube. That's that's interesting because it is different now than it used to be. Like a couple months or years in the past, you you did pivot right from from your first channel to the second channel. Can yeah. you maybe tell me more about that pivot? How that came to be? Yeah. Okay. So my first channel, I started YouTube in July of twenty twenty one, I believe, um, and. I had no video or editing experience whatsoever, but I had listened to a podcast featuring Ali Abdal. Um, and he's a well-known, fantastic, very lucrative YouTuber. 
And that was like my first time really hearing that people could be on YouTube and like not in a Mr. Beast fashion. I'm like, oh, there's like someone who was an educational YouTuber and making a lot of money from doing this. Like this is actually something that is possible. Um, and at that point I was like trying to do a lot, a lot of different things. So I made a YouTube channel. At that point I didn't really know what my niche was. I just kind of like took Twitter threads, X threads, but it was Twitter at the time. Um, and turned them into YouTube videos. Um, and then late 2021 happened. And then all of a sudden on Twitter, everyone was talking about these things called NFTs. And some people loved them and some people hated them, but no one could really tell me exactly what they were. Um, so I'm not one to be left out of conversations. And I believe that the best way to learn is by doing. So I made an experimental NFT collection of my own just to like see what the hype is about. Cause I'm like, surely it's not like, you know, we've all heard of NFT millionaires during that time. And I'm like, surely it's not that as easy as just like create NFTs and then oops, you're, you're a millionaire, right? There, there's gotta be something else here. Um, so I created an, an NFT collection and made a lot of mistakes during the process. Like I didn't know what gas fees were. That was like a whole thing. Yeah. Um, and I made a thread on Twitter kind of like recounting my experience. And a lot of people really resonated with that thread. So I turned that thread into a YouTube video and that video blew up. That was my first viral video. That video got my channel monetized. And I had this large flood of people coming into my channel who, again, like they, they, had, they had heard about NFTs. They'd heard about NFT millionaires. And they're just like, well, you know, and, and, and they, they were mostly other creators and entrepreneurs thinking, is this something for me? How do I fit into this? I think there's always this fear of like a new trend taking off and like, Will I be left behind? Will this type of thing be reserved for the people who are super hyper technical and know all of this stuff? Because it was like a very complex topic and not very accessible to people. So that's kind of what my content became. I leaned into that because um, they say niche down to, to blow up. And even though I wasn't particularly passionate about the crypto space or NFTs myself, um, I thought, hey, like, let me ride this wave as far as I can and serve the people who are here already. So I made more content focused on the creation process of NFTs and making the industry more accessible to people who otherwise would not be able to like understand what's going on. Um, and that did super, super well. And my channel was making upwards of $100 per day just from AdSense alone. And then you have sponsorships on top of that. Um, things were going really, really well. But because I was creating in a niche that I was not genuinely passionate about, I burned out really, really, really hard. Um, the like biggest period of burnout I've ever felt in my life, the strongest period of burnout I've ever felt in my life to the point where, you know, I was, I was sleepy all the time. Everything felt so hard and so heavy. Like I could not get up off the couch and I was like, oh, like something needs to change. Like this is not good. I deserve better in my life than to be in this period of burnout. So had like a little existential crisis and decided what, what, what I wanted to do with my entire life. Um, fast forward through lots of bits and pieces. And ultimately I realized that I really love YouTube. 
And if there was like, if I could be anything and if I could do anything, I would want to be a YouTuber. I would want to be teaching people things on YouTube. I just loved the process of creating a YouTube video. Um, and so then again, like another period of existential crisis and self reflection about like, what do I want to make a YouTube channel about? Um, and I kind of like landed on, well, the one thing that I know for sure <laughs> is that I love talking about YouTube and I love teaching people about YouTube and I get questions all the time about how to grow on YouTube. And it's something that I very passionate about. And then I know that there's a lot of misinformation about online. So, you know, just because I was burned so badly from being in a niche that I didn't care about, I wanted to make sure that going into my next channel, it would be something that I absolutely loved. So here we are. I made a new channel in April, April 14th, I believe is when I started this brand new channel. Um, and yeah, that's the TLDR of that, that <laughs> channel pivot. That's awesome. I, I I love the fact that you went from something that you were not passionate about, like in terms of the whole NFT space, which is something that I kind of feel the same. I I, I love the technology. I love the the social implications of what may happen, but I'm just not that into it in a sense that I want to contribute and want to be part of all these communities. I also launched a failed <laughs> NFT collection, which was fun. And I, I got to talk about it. I got to talk about like failing at understanding why this works and all that stuff, which is nice for me. It's a learning for me that I got to share through my means, which is podcasting and writing, right? And now mm -hmm. I guess video as well. But it's it's interesting to try these things out and then use them. What I really like about the journey that you're currently on is that instead of saying, I built this amazing channel on YouTube, follow me <laughs> and, and do what I do, you started a new one and you want to sh like just really walk the walk. You want to get it to monetization to show people that it can be done repeatedly. Yeah. And that that is wonderful because that just teaches people that or it shows them that you're not just talking about what they should do. You're actually showing them. It's really cool. Like I, I think that for a teacher, that is a spectacular way of approaching this. Thank you. No, I, I really appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that, too, because I get to learn from you. Right, the the, the <laughs> benefits of of you actually walking the walk here is that I get to see how much experimentation is needed to you know figure things out. Also, how the you know the amount of subscribers versus the amount of hours watched and that kind of stuff all plays into you know into how you create and what you create. So, what I would like to know in terms of monetization, because that's the thing that a lot of people want to understand about YouTube. Um, getting monetized on YouTube, is that enough for a creator to, you know, build a life on YouTube? Um, it, mo monetizing your channel alone in the beginning, no, that is not enough. Um, the way that, mon that monetization works on YouTube, for those curious, um, is that once you reach a certain threshold of monetization, which right now to enter the YouTube partner program and to benefit from AdSense, so from ads shown on your YouTube videos, you have to reach 1,000 subscribers and 4,000 watch hours. So at that point, you're a YouTube partner and now you take a portion, it's around 55% of the ad revenue um, from ads played on your videos. And usually this is measured by something called a CPM or cost per mil. That's like the cost per thousand views that advertisers pay to advertise on your videos um, or RPM, which is revenue per meal. And for, for most, like the, the average number 
is around $5. So that's like you receive $5 for every thousand views on your channel. Some niches have a higher CPM, some niches have a lower CPM, um, but that's kind of like the overall average. And as you can imagine, if you're a newer channel and maybe you're, you're getting a thousand views per video, which is great at a certain stage, that's only roughly $5 that you're making per video that you put out. You think about all of the time and energy that goes into making the video. It's like, okay, that's not a living whatsoever. So I think like you, you have to determine for yourself, like what a livable wage is. Um, but also the, the, the majority of creators who are full-time on YouTube, the, majority of their income comes from sources outside of just YouTube AdSense, whether that be affiliate marketing or sponsorships or products or, you know, digital offerings or something else. Uh, so yeah, I think like there's, there's this common misconception that, oh, you just get monetized on YouTube and then you're the AdSense pays for everything in life. And while AdSense can be significant, um, if you play your cards correctly, the cool part about YouTube is your distribution, right? It's like, hey, all of a sudden, like once your platform becomes big enough, you you have free distribution of everything, of anything that you want to. Um, and it's particularly powerful distribution because the, the your audience cares about you as a creator. And so if you were to go and create your own product, like, yes, you can have sponsorship slots where you show someone else's product. But if you create your own, now all of a sudden you don't have to worry about a marketing budget. Like your YouTube channel is your marketing budget and it converts people a lot better than traditional marketing does as well. Um, So, yeah, that's kind of like the overall of rundown of YouTube monetization. Yeah, that, that makes sense to me. Like distribution is, is a big deal. Like the fact that you can talk to people who already like you. Yeah. It's like that, that makes marketing so much easier. And I, I love that, which is it makes me wonder, like, do you even still need to chase virality on YouTube if your audience is already where you are? Like, do you do you still make videos to go viral or do you just make videos for your audience? Um, I think it, it, d- it depends on on what stage you're at there there are ups and downs of virality ups being that you get a a lot of views and a lot more people can discover you um downs in that it might not be the right people who are discovering you um i think it's still important to make videos that have the potential of like of discoverability um because most people want their audiences to grow. And so like if you if you just focus on making content that only suits your current audience without thinking about how can this be discovered or applicable to other people, then your audience isn't going to grow very much. Um, now it's like if you're at a stage where you don't really care about your audience growing at all, that's completely fine. But if you do want to continue to grow, then I think like there's like a mixture. You you don't have to be trying to make like a viral bangers every time. Um, but I do think that it's worth a lot of intentional thought about the, like the topic and the packaging of a video to, as I said, like make it more discoverable by new people who don't already know who you are.
Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's maybe dive into that kind of strategy angle yeah. here a little bit. Like, how uh, how does it work for you? What is your strategy, your content creation strategy, both in terms of pacing and the topics, but also what the exact content of the videos is supposed to be? Yeah. Okay. So i I start most I say most people on YouTube they think of an idea, then they script their video, then they film their video, then they upload their video, and then they think like, oh yeah, I need a, a title and a thumbnail, and they slap one together and publish. Um, that is overall a more self-centered way to approach YouTube because you're thinking like you, you're not thinking like your audience. Your audience doesn't see the beautiful video. All your audience sees is a title and thumbnail. And so when I go about my YouTube process, I always start with idea first, with, 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 with the, the topic. The like three T's that are the most important to think about are topic, title, and thumbnail. I start with topic because it doesn't really matter how good of a video you make or how beautiful your title and thumbnail are. If it's a topic that no one's interested in, no one's going to click on it. And if they don't click, then they don't watch. So I think about topic first. And when I think about topic, I think about, okay, like what are people first, like what do I want to teach and what are people interested in and how can I like merge them together? Um, Because sometimes you want to teach something, but it's not something that people are interested in. I have to cough again. Um. I will give you an, a, a YouTube-related example, right? So maybe I want to teach people about um, music and sound design and about like how you, you can use that to elevate the quality of your videos. Um, if I just made a video titled like how to choose the right music for your YouTube videos. Um, it might do well. I feel like that's like more like search related topic. So if people are directly searching for that thing, I might show up. Um, but if it just like appears on someone's homepage, unless they're specifically thinking about that, they might not click on it because it's like, it just seems kind of boring to them. Versus if I say something like, um, like this, like this one thing will, 5x your views or something or like this 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 one element will uh will will elevate the quality of your videos it it, it won't be phrased like that but then it's like okay you capture something that people are interested about which is getting more views or growing on youtube and you're hooking them from there and then you're delivering on that promise but by talking about the thing that you want to teach and so that's like the whole concept of packaging is what's the topic and then what's the title and thumbnail. So how, how do you make a title and thumbnail combo so good that if people see it and they don't click on it for whatever reason, they'll think later in the day of like, man, I wonder what was in that video. You know, like <laughs> yeah, you want yeah. it to be that intriguing. Yeah. So then they click on it. And then when it comes after I have my title and thumbnail and topic, that's when I'll start scripting the video itself. Um, and I have like a whole process around like research and then outline and then scripting. And then after I script, um, starting now actually in my most recent video, I've experimented with a new process where instead of going straight into filming, after I script, I go through my entire script and annotate it, 
with exactly what is going to happen on screen during each of those times, whether that be B-roll or a visual or an, or an animation or talking head footage. Um, and that like takes a lot of, I guess, like the mental effort of the editing process, but front loads it. It also helps me with like the filming process and making the filming process a lot easier because I know what I need to be filming. Um, and then after I have all of my footage, then I'll hop into my editor um, and edit the video itself. Um, and after all of that, export, uh, publish, and a video is out. <laughs> I love that you pre-edit your video before you filmed it. That's kind of cool. Like that conceptually, I mean, I, I guess that's how most like high budget movie productions work, right? Everything is already in the script, very, very clearly laid out. But for a single creator, it, it tends to be less organized. I love that you organize it that way, that you have everything figured out in the beginning. That's really cool. Yeah, it's 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 something new that I tried with this video and I've I've loved how it turns out. Um in terms of like I don't know, I, I feel like I'm able to create a more dynamic uh video because of that. And because the editing process is is already something that's like, ah, it's so much effort. If I can like front load at least like like the mental part of it, then all you have to to focus on in the editing process itself is the execution. That's something that I've already thought about, which is great. I love that you call it more dynamic because in a way it's more constrained, but it allows you to just feel more free in knowing what exactly is happening around you, right? You can kind of play with that in a way. That's cool because I, I do wonder, is it potentially harming your creativity in, in the editing process to have everything laid out even before you film? No, because like the one, I can always change something if I need to. Um, but but two, it's like the it's still like the same thing thing right it's still like the same creative process that i'm thinking about but it's just at a different time right and so it's like it, I, I would be doing this either way either after filming or before and i'd rather do it before because like in 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 this case like i i thought about a lot more um types of b-roll that i wanted to include that i thought would look really really cool and part of like the rough part about editing is if you start to edit and you're like ah i really wish i had footage of this but i don't so i'm going to do something else right ver ver versus if i if i say that before the filming process starts i can record as much extra footage as i want to then i could decide for myself if, if I want to, to use it or not in the editing process, but at least it's there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. It is, is very clear. I love the, the way of phrasing it. You, you're still the same creative person. You just at a different point, use, yeah. you apply this creativity. That's cool. Let's, let's get back to title and thumbnail for a bit, because as a YouTube user, not just as somebody who is like throwing this mostly unedited podcast on YouTube, but also as somebody who just watches a lot of YouTube from all, all different kinds of people, um, title and thumbnail is all I have to make a, a judgment about the video. And that's kind of what you explained, right? You have your, yeah. your home feed, the kind of stuff that gets shown to you. And then you have the things you search for, which apparently are two very different things to optimize for. That's yes. interesting. But let's dive into title and thumbnail before we get to that, hopefully. I need to never know. Um, <laughs> I, as, as somebody who wants to build a very authentic brand, like uh, being myself in front of people, I struggle so hard with catchy titles and thumbnails. Like mm. it always feels like it's not me to yeah. be louder than I am and to promise more than I think it actually is about. How can I avoid 
feeling that way because I know I need to compete with all these other very showy, very flashy things on YouTube. Like, how how do I deal with that as a creator who wants to stay authentically myself? Yeah, I think like it 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 comes it comes down to um, it's not about you being loud; it's about your audience. Like it, 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 it's about your audience wanting to click on the video. It's about like getting the audience to watch the video in the first place. And so it's like, again, like they, they don't see your video and most likely they don't know you. And if you don't package it in the right way, if you package it in a way that own, that would only be interesting to people who already know who you are or are already subscribe to you, then you're doing the audience a disservice, like, like any new audience a disservice, because then they'll see your video, it'll come up for them. But because it's packaged in that way, they're not going to be interested and then they're not going to click. And so that video could be something that was really like that that might change their lives or might like change the way in which they think or might be exactly what they need but they're never going to see it because of the way in which you packaged it which is only really interesting or relevant for people who already know who you are um so yeah i i don't know if that helps at all oh, absolutely uh, <laughs> I, I, what i what i hear you say let me just mirror this back to you is that if the video is really really good and helpful to an audience that may not know about it it's it's not communicable outside of the title and thumbnail. So these need to communicate, this is good for you, right? They can't know what the video is about. They have to be lured in and then see the video and then figure out, oh yeah, this is actually for me. Yeah, um, so I I recently had a conversation with with a friend about a similar topic of like, I was thinking about a, a title and thumbnail. And I was like, oh, like I could do this, but like it seems too clickbaity, right? And I want to avoid the idea of clickbait yes. whilst also, you know, having a packaging that is attractive enough to be clicked on. And what 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 he said, which was interesting to me and that helped me, was that if you like if if you have a problem with packaging your your video in a way that is intriguing or interesting enough to, to be clicked on what it really is most likely is you not being confident enough with the quality of your own video because if your video is good enough it won't really matter why they clicked on it in the first place after they watch it they're going to be like dang that was a good video and i want to tell other people about it because it was so good um they'll because like if, if you think about the YouTube videos that you've watched in the last month, do you remember the title and thumbnail of those videos? I never remember what the thumbnail is in the first place. I might remember the title if I like think about it really, really hard. But for the most part, no. Right? I just think about like what the video is. And so, yeah, like if your video is good enough, it won't really matter why they came they're going to be grateful that they came um so may maybe the answer is like i guess like a, the the question for you is do you believe that your videos are worth watching and that if people watch it they'll be they'll believe that it was worth their time 
Well, do ask my imposter syndrome about that part. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I get it. Like obviously, the, and, and it does remind me of books, like book covers, right? If, if you, I don't know if, if you saw this like a month ago or so, like Peter Levels was sharing this picture of all these self-help uh, productivity books and they're all just white books with like black uh. font and that's all, right? Like there was 20 books on the page. They all looked alike. Doesn't really matter. They're still hyper successful books that are sold all over the place because the content of the book is what gets people to change their lives and then they tell their friends to get the book. Exactly. Like the, the, the difference here, apparently, and, and between books and YouTube is YouTube is immediately measurable. Like you see if people clicked on your, your your video, if they shared it, if they invited their friends through other means than YouTube. If you see if it's external or came through Twitter or newsletters or whatever, right? You get immediate data. And um, that's that's what I, I sometimes struggle with, because if it doesn't perform immediately, a new video that I put out, it feels like I did something wrong, even though it may just be that the, my audience just wasn't awake just yet or had something else to do. How do you deal with this in your own work? Like, how do you deal with the, the I guess, the, the curse and the blessing that is immediately available analytics in, in videos like this? Gosh, it's so hard. Um, <laughs> The the number of hours that have disappeared for me from just like refreshing <laughs> YouTube studio after a yeah. new video is live. And I'm like, please, a one out of 10, please, a one out of 10. Uh. Um, for those who are not creators, a one out of 10 is a good thing for YouTubers. Um, YouTube will, will rank your, your video out of your last 10 videos in terms of its performance. So a 10 out of 10 is, oh, it's like the, the worst performing video out of your latest 10, which is a one out of 10 is your best performing video out of your most recent 10. Um, yeah, I, it's tough for me to get stuff done during the first day that I upload <laughs> a new video because I'll just be like so wired. Like, yeah. are they going to like it? Please like it. I work so hard on this video. I really hope that they enjoy it. Um, and I think like I've come to try to like separate the result of a video into yeah. like three categories in my head. One category is the views, right? It's so like, okay, like how many views did this video get? That's like bucket A. Bucket B is how much did my audience or like any people enjoy this content? What are my comments like? Are my comments saying like, man, this is the best video that I've seen in a long time or wow, this helped me so, so, so much, right? Or are the video or, or, or are, are, are the comments more generic, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, like how much did they find the content useful and how much did they enjoy it? And then the third bucket is what did I learn from this process or how do I feel about it? Um, so for a number of videos, right, they, they, they might not perform the best, but I learned something new. And it's like, I, I, I like thinking about YouTube skills in general as like collecting more like items or buffs in the video yeah. game that is YouTube. <laughs> it's like, okay, like maybe you didn't defeat the dragon yet, but like in this run, you were able to pick up some new items and buffs right. that can <laughs> help you in the next time that you try to defeat the dragon or make a viral video, right? And it's like, okay, like I pick up these new skills and now I have them forever. In my most recent video, I was playing a around with some more B-roll or supplementary footage and I like discovered this new angle that 
I really, really, really loved. And it's going to be my first time using that angle in this new video. And I'm like, whoa, I can now use that for all of my future videos. And even if this video isn't a complete banger, I now, again, like I, I've collected this item that I can now use forever. And that's so cool. And that's a big win. So there's like the three buckets. So like whenever I get too deep into thinking about that bucket, one of the results, I try really hard to focus on, okay, like, were there any other wins in the other buckets? And if yes, we're good. The last thing I'll say too is that the best cure that I found for a video not doing as well as I wanted to is working on the next one, right? It's like, I, I try to go into every single video thinking this will be the one or like, this is my next hit. Because one, I want to, I want to genuinely believe that. Cause like, if I, if I don't believe that, why am I making the video in the first place? Like if I don't believe that it's useful or like good enough for a lot of people to watch and love, why am I making it in the first place? Um, and two, like you just like have that prolonged hope. And so as soon as a video goes out, it's like, cool, now let's work on the next one. And this one is going to be my best one yet. Um, and that kind of like takes the focus away from thinking about what's already happened to what's going to happen. Yeah, that that one out of ten thing on YouTube that is, um, it, it can it can give give you brain damage. That's how I feel sometimes when I look yeah. at this. It's like I'm I'm looking at this number that won't change like over the next couple hours. It's just not going to happen. And what what what, uh, what do I want out of this? Why do I want it to be higher? Like it, every video is different too, right? You can't expect to be better every single week than everything you've ever done before. That's not how progress works. It's like a back and forth. I I really like the idea of separating this into buckets and taking the the like analytical results in a different bucket than the results for you as a creator, the learnings, the internal learnings. And I love the, the dragon uh, World of Warcraft rating <laughs> metaphor there because that's that's how I feel about like my whole creator journey. I started like with item level 200 and now I'm, I'm at uh, average item level 457 or something. It there just it increases over time. It does. You don't really see the massive difference as you go through it. But over time, looking back at two years ago, I was I was listening to my twentieth podcast episode for some. I, I misclicked somewhere yesterday. Let's just say that I just randomly clicked on my website and I clicked on a the audio version of of a episode twenty five or something. And I was listening to the audio and it was horrible. I recorded that with my my old um what is it called uh this weird high gain microphone that picked up everything around me and it, it was really really bad, not edited at all, super bad. And it was like. Still, people listen to this. And the same people that listened to that back then, they listen to my stuff right now, which is much better produced. It's much better thought out and all of that stuff. They still around. Like they didn't hate it back then. Why should I think it was bad? Right. It's like it, you see the, the in increase of, of quality over time and you see your own journey, which is really cool, which I, I wonder, like, how much time do you spend per video? Because do, do you did you spend less time on that before? Did you spend more time on that before? What What is that trajectory for somebody who's getting better at, at YouTube? Do you spend more time or less? It depends on what my goal is. I, I think I'm able. So uh, I I recently started this like on, on, on my my new channel, this 90 day challenge to get my new channel monetized. Um, and I had like, a, I went in with a couple of different strategies to try out in the beginning. My goal was to upload three videos per week. Now to me, that was insane. I don't know what I was thinking. I, I previously only able to upload one video per week max. Mm -hmm. And 
but that week I succeed. I make three videos in one week. And the difference is, is that the quality of each of those videos in that one week was the same, if not better as a year or two ago when I would make one video per week. Right. Um, and so I was like, okay, like, does that mean that it takes less time to make a video then? Well, after that, I started thinking more strategically and I was like, well, for this moment in time, for my journey, it's less so about quantity, but more so about quality. And so then I switched my strategies instead of focusing on the, uh, on the quantity of three videos per week, I was like, Hey, let's just make the best video I've ever made. Now I take a lot more time on each of my, my videos, more like an entire week for a single video, which is a similar time as what I did before, but the quality of this video is so much better than ever before. So yes, I'm able to get more quality bang for my time buck now. It's just up to me in terms of how I want to divvy that up. That makes sense. Do you have like a, a number of hours that you spent on like an average over your last like five or 10 videos? (laughs) <laughs> the the when I made three videos in one week, each of those videos on average took me two days, um, but like two full days. So I'll say like sixteen hours for a video. Um, now it's more like eight hours per day for seven days. So fifty six. If I'm doing. Right. Hours um, for a single video. Um, yeah. But like that's that's kind of but like I'm doing this full time. So there's nothing else I'm doing with my time besides YouTube. Um, so all of my effort can go into it. OK. And that's what I'm doing. Okay. Okay. I don't want to like dive too deep into the specifics, but I'm, I'm a process person. I, when I write, I have one day for writing, one for editing, and then I, I turn it into my other kinds of contents. I record a podcast, record the video, and then I distribute. So that's my week in structure. Do you have an, like a similar structure for how you produce videos? Like, like a step-by-step order of things? I, I used to. So back when I had a more consistent schedule, um, I will give you the schedule that I had for my three videos per week. So on Monday, I would upload a video in the morning and then I would um, uh, ideate, uh, script, and film another video. On Tuesday, I would edit that video. Um, On Wednesday, I would upload the video and spend the day researching for like more content for the future. Thursday, I would ideate script film my next video. Um, Friday, I would edit that. Saturday, I would upload that and ideate a script and film. And then on Sunday, I would edit. And then on Monday, it would start over again. Oh, that sounds like um, a great work-life balance right there. <laughs> <laughs> um, honestly, it wasn't bad. But the, the edit days were the worst for yeah. me. Um, the ideate script and film, I was like, cool. I'm vibing. This is this is great. The research days were amazing because I love to do research. I just got to like get snacks and go in front of my computer and just like <laughs> spend the day researching, and that was great. The editing was awful. Um, I said eight hour days before my my, my editing days were, gosh, fourteen hour days, 
16 hour days in order to, to try to get it all done. Um, it was too much. So now what, what I've done is kind of like taken, so I saw that same process, right. Of like ideate, script, film, edit, upload, and like research as well. Um, but now I've like expanded each of those to the point where I, I feel like it's, it's enough, I suppose. Um, and I think like the, 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 the debate of like, should I focus more on quantity or on quality is one that a lot of people talk about. And it's a question that I get a lot of time, um, like many times. Um, the answer that I'll have to say for this is just, just, just cause like, I don't want people looking at my own, uh, process and being like, Oh, I should, I should do that. And, and she's focusing so much on quality. So I should too. Um, my take on this is focus on quantity. So on consistency, usually that's one video per week at least until it's no longer a question of will I make another video until it's like, it's not even a thought in your head. It's of course I'm going to make another video. That's just what I do. Right? So as, as long as it's like, will I make another video? Oh, this is really, really hard. Like as long as there's that potential there of if you were to take longer in a video, it might never get done. Focus on quantity, focus on consistency. Then once it no longer becomes a question, once it's like, that's just a staple of your life, then you can focus more on quality. So that's where I'm at in my journey. So I can focus more on quality. Um, and at this point, like how I do that is because I've done the quantity thing for so long, I know what like the baseline is and I know where I thought like, oh, if I just had another day to do this, it would be so much better. Right. And so then I'm able to use my time and like add time where it needs to be now in my process because I know where to allocate time for the biggest result or the biggest impact. So that sounds like a very thought through approach. Like uh, when I started, it was all random trying things out, but this seems to be like you crystallize the, the high impact things in, into your, into a structure. Uh, how yeah. do you prevent like burnout? Like you, you talked about burnout on YouTube channels before. Like what active steps do you take right now to not burn out on this one? If I ever, so I feel like I have, I have like a hypersensitive sensitivity to mm -hmm. burnout now. And like, if I feel even like the inkling of it potentially coming, I'm like, Ooh, warning, <laughs> okay. something's going to happen. Let's chill out for a second. Yeah. Um, so usually I have to think about like why I'm feeling that burnout. Um, and at this point for me, it's usually something external because I I've done enough work and I'm far enough along my own journey that I am confident that what I am doing now in terms of like the content itself and the process itself is something that I genuinely love. Like I genuinely enjoy it. And it's taken a lot of work to get to this point, but it's something that I believe to be true. So when I like feel any like ounce of burnout coming in, I'm like, hmm, like why is this happening? And it depends. Typically it's because either like I'm making a video that I don't actually want to be making um, or I'm pushing myself too fast when I should be slowing down or other things are going on in my life. Like we're in a heat wave and there's no air conditioning, you know, or like, uh, like 
ah, like I, or I'm sick or, or, or something else that's, or like I haven't gone outside enough, so I don't have enough fresh air. Right. Yeah. And, and there's, there's, there's usually something else going on. I'm like, mm, like that's the reason why. But I think like it's a lot easier for me to identify that because I know that my core thing is something that I love and I'm lucky enough to have like found that for myself. Um, but yeah. That, that, okay, that makes absolute sense. Like, <laughs> and, and thinking about it as something external, something that is not coming coming from within you, in the sense of that it's like a, a deep desire, but some some kind of external pressure or external um, constraint. That 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 makes that's my experience as well with these things. And often it's something externalized, like it's an expectation that we project onto something else as well, yeah. right? That's also weird. I, um, how has your move to San Francisco affected your your mental health? <laughs> Let's just say that, or your Productivity, like your your state of of doing things on YouTube, because you, you you did a move is a pretty big thing, and moving to the valley is probably equally big and making big changes. Ha, ha, has that had an effect on you? It's had a, an enormous effect, um, but probably for a different reason than than you would think. So pri prior to this, um, like I mean, I've I've been living with my partner Rocks for almost two years now. And for the majority of this time, we were both working from home in the same place. Um, and it was great, but I feel like neither one of us were as productive as we could have been because you know, oftentimes it was in like a one bedroom apartment. And so we're not even like distanced from each other in different rooms. We're normally in the same room in two different corners. And it's just like, it was so hard to, have long productive hours right because i think we we picked up on, on, on each other's energies a lot so it's like even if i was like in the zone if he was having a rough day i would pick up on his energy and like want to go and console him or want to like go and see what's going on and vice versa so when we moved to san francisco um he now like works at like a different physical office so he leaves early in the day. Perfect. <laughs> and he doesn't come back until really late at night. And also going to San Francisco, um, I, di I didn't really have any friends here at all. I had, I, had a, I had one friend that I was looking forward to seeing here. The week that I moved here, she moved to Romania. Okay. So I was like, man, <laughs> of course. Um, so I didn't really have any friends here at all. Um, and there is this like moment and I guess like the the main shift that happened was the default was stillness. So the default, if, if I were to do nothing in this apartment, it would just be still. Rocks wouldn't be here. I wouldn't really have friends like trying to hit me up or, you know, go out and do an activity. I would just be alone and still. And, also, I have these like gigantic windows in this apartment, which is like has a gorgeous city view. So I can just like stand there and like look out in, 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 into, the, into the city, which I love because I love that San Francisco is a city of builders. And there's this energy of like people, a lot of people are here working towards their dream. And I think like that default of being still has allowed me to work so much more and like be a lot more productive. Um, because like, I, I can always add in distraction if I want to. I can always fill the space with videos or calling friends and family or, or going out if I need to. But it's just like I've been able to be so focused. 
And I, I, I tend to work really well if I'm alone. I know some people like to work when they're like around people. Even in school, I never went to a library to study because there were people around. I like went to like my room and shut all, all the doors, right? <laughs> yeah. So this has been a dream for me. I've just been able to get super, super deep into spending my time exactly how I want to spend my time. Um, and it's been it's been wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the ability to just be still in yourself and reflect on the things you want to do, I think that's that's the source of of energy and the generative core of most creators, like many creators. I don't know, like you know, people have different personalities, and like you said, some people need their solipsistic kind of enclosed space. I, I'm the same way. Like this is my room. And nobody goes into my room if I yeah. don't allow it. I have a biometric lock on the door. Nobody gets into this room. <laughs> that's that's how my studio is. What about your your dog? The dog, uh, she can knock, and then I will ah. let her in. But we should have a little doggy door in here. But no, like the the puppy is an exception because uh, she's she's my co-founder at this point, so she, she has sense. access privileges to my room. But yeah, I need the space as well. Like my creative uh, source is finding a silent place thinking and then i can fill it like you said with distractions as well i think that's it's important to have that place to go to and probably that is something over the last couple of years that was significantly lacking in most people's home office forced home office lives right particularly if you have kids or pets or or just loud neighbors you live in a in a busy space not having a place to go back to retreat to to relax that probably uh, was a big issue it's nice that you have that. I'm really happy for you to be able to to have this place and to f- also for Rox to have his thing and do do his work from another place and not not have this kind of energy bounce that you were describing. That is that's really important. So having a maybe that's an that's something to talk about. What does a creator space look like? Like how do you how do you set up your space to be creative in? Starting with not having another person sitting there <laughs> streaming for hours a day, right? Yes, for sure. <laughs> um I mean, I, I think I think it's very dependent on the creator in general. I, 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 I can speak to what helps me out. Um, one thing that, that, that really helps me, um, it, which might seem counterintuitive, but I think like if you're a creator, you, you would understand. Having some sort of structure in my day helps a lot with being able to be more, more creative. And so like the, the very first, like I, I have a, a morning routine where when I get up after I brush my teeth, I will go to like a specific like corner that I have over there where I have my journal and a pen and it's right next to a window. So I will open the window, get that natural light, look out into the city and just spend some time journaling. It it doesn't have to be that much, like one page if need be, usually it's longer. Um, but I, no matter what, I, I start my day unless I have a very early call. I, I start my day <laughs> uh, with that. Um, and I just think like it, it, it helps so much just like to get me ready for that day, to look out, to get inspired by the city view and to just like reflect and think about like where I'm at in the current moment and like what I want my day to look like. Um, after that's done, then I can like start my day. Um, and I, I like having like a separate like desk that I use for just like work, I guess. Um, if I, if I want to like watch TV or something or like watch YouTube, cause I, at this point I just consume YouTube for entertainment. I don't really like watch TV anymore. Um, it's like, 
we we have like an, an open floor plan. So it's like this like the L is the couch and then on and the TV is here. And then on the other side of the couch is the desk in this like corner. And I guess like all this to say that for me, I really love like the separation of spaces. It's like, okay, I have a specific space for journaling. I don't do any work there. I don't do anything else in that space other than journal. I have this space. I have this space for work. I don't do anything else in the space besides work. I have that space. I don't do anything else in that space besides chill, right? And just like having those separation for me has been really, really great. And then also like even in that there's like another little kitchen table and like the like bar kitchen area where I can go and sit if I want like a change in scenery or like, you know, if I want to go and like write someplace else. So I think like the optionality and like where I want to like sit and do work if needed and the separation of spaces and access to na- to natural light um, have been pretty big for me in terms of being able to like more easily access a flow state. That That is something that I've witnessed both in myself and a lot of other creators. Like when you told me the story about you having your little journaling spot where all that happens there is journaling. Mm-hmm. I, I had this conversation a couple of weeks ago with somebody else. They have their journaling spot. It's the, <laughs> that one seat in the house, like a, a nice cushioned space where they can relax into it. They have their little coffee table beside yep. it. And then they... Exactly. they spend like 30 minutes or whatever journaling and then they leave the space and nobody else is allowed to sit there. It's their spot, right? And that's for that purpose alone. I think that's something that if you're building a home office or if you want to work from home, you have to really consciously make these spaces for yourself to be creative in. I've I've talked to writers that have a, a desk that is just for writing by hand. And then there's the computer desk for writing, you know, on the, on the, um, the keyboard or whatever, like, taking these different activities and giving them individual spots and spaces that com- compartmentalizes the activities in into spaces where if you go there, you're prepared to do that work. Yes. That is that is something that I've, I find myself too. Like the space I'm sitting in right now is my recording computer. Like I bought, literally bought a little uh, Mac mini that is connected to all this stuff here that is just for recording. I don't edit here. I don't do anything else here. If I sit on this chair here, I record. Which mm-hmm. brings me into a mind space where I'm more inquisitive, right? Where I'm, I'm talking yes. to people and I get to ask them cool questions that brings me an energy. And then I move over there, which is invisible right now because it's obviously not in the recording space. And that's where all the, the kind of analytical deep work uh, happens, that uh, the editing, the even the writing and that happens there for me. So it's really cool to see you go, taking that step as well and having all these little spaces. That's that's interesting. Was that conscious? Like, did you consciously set up the space like this or did it just, did you map the activities onto the space um most of this happened by happenstance um so when we moved into this apartment we are subletting and so this is like a fully furnished apartment during this time um but i where this current desk was was where my journaling nook is now and i didn't like that in terms of like having like a filming background so like i moved things things around but then that area was bare and I was like we got to put something there how about like a little like desk over there that we can put like the coffee maker on and maybe I can journal and I think like as that started to be built out I started to realize like oh this is actually a huge deal um like I'm able to keep with a journaling habit that I know is really important to me but that I haven't been able to keep with for a while because there's a designated spot for it. Um, 
And I'm able to get more work done in this space because it's separate, like, be, like from my, 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 my chill space. I, I originally started to like watch my entertainment on the couch because this, I don't have an office chair. This chair yeah. is just like a normal, like <laughs> right. kitchen chair. And so instead of like sitting here to relax, I just like moved over to, to the couch and was like, oh, this is actually a big deal too. So in the future, with every new space that, that we set up, that's what I'm going to, to look for. It's like, okay, like how can I compartmentalize spaces for specific activities? Mm-hmm. It's like creator feng shui, right? Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you have to find the right spots for the right energies in your space. That That is really cool. And since we're talking about finding, let's let's bring this to a close. Where can people go to find <laughs> you on the internet? What a segue. <laughs> Incredible. Um, yeah. I'm on YouTube, um, youtube.com slash at sign ampersand April and Alter. Um, I'm on Twitter as well at April and Alter. Um, and yeah, that's for the most part where you can find me if you want to follow along the journey or learn more about YouTube. I highly recommend it. I'm I'm a big fan of your work. I follow you everywhere I can find you because your insights are spectacular. And uh, I'm really, really grateful that you shared your early morning instead of going into your journaling nook today with me <laughs> this this conversation. Thanks for, for giving me a little insight into the, the world, the physical and mental world of a creator who is uh, very, very interested in sharing and teaching people which i really admire you're so good at teaching people and you're teaching people how to teach which is even better like <laughs> telling people how to get a grow on youtube is effectively teaching them how to teach which is really really cool so thank you so much for being on the show today thank you for spending your morning with me that was wonderful thank you thanks so much for having me <laughs> always a pleasure thanks and that's it for today i will now briefly thank my sponsor acquire.com imagine this your founder who's built a solid SaaS product, acquired customers, and is generating really consistent monthly recurring revenue. The SaaS dream, right? The problem is you're not growing for whatever reason. Maybe it's lack of focus, lack of skill, or just plain lack of interest, and you feel stuck in your business with your business. What should you do? Well, the story that I would like to hear is that you buckled down, reignited the fire, started working on the business, not just in the business, and did all those things like audience building and marketing and sales and outreach. And six months down the road, you made all that money, you've tripled your revenue, and you have this hyper successful business. But reality is unfortunately not as simple as this. And the situation that you might be in is different for every founder facing this crossroad. Too many times, the story here ends up being one of inaction or stagnation until the business itself becomes less and less valuable over time or worse, completely worthless. So if you find yourself here already or you think your story is likely headed down a similar road, I would consider a third option that's selling your business on acquire.com. Because capitalizing on the value of your time today That's a pretty smart move. Acquire.com is free to list. They've helped hundreds of founders already. Go to try.acquire.com slash Arvid and see for yourself if this is the right option for you. 
Thank you for listening to the Bootstrap Founder today. You can find me on Twitter at Avid Kahl, A-R-V-I-D-K-A-H-L, and you find my books on my Twitter course there too. If you want to support me in the show, please subscribe to my YouTube channel, get the podcast in your podcast player of choice, and leave a rating and a review by going to ratethispodcast.com slash founder. Makes a massive difference if you show up there because then the podcast will show up in other people's feeds. Any of this will help the show. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful day and bye-bye.